Preliminary Thoughts and Encouragements. And now, Professor Friedman. I'd like to begin with some preliminary observations and encouragements. What is this course about, and what will you learn from it? First, it's not a chronological survey of musical history and its many stylistic periods or moments. It will nevertheless often be historical in its orientation, recognizing how musical language and even individual works have changed over time. Secondly, this course is not a project aimed to explore the lives and output of individual composers. The connection between biography and work, of course, is an important pursuit, but it's also exceedingly complex, particularly in the abstract world of musical design. Artistic biography, after all, can make its claim over works in all sorts of ways, both trivial and not so trivial, from the material circumstances for which a particular piece was composed to the aesthetic or even ethical orientation of the composer. First, he observes that works have a coherent identity. How might this work in music? Well, in musical works, coherence can be found in the correlation of part to part and part to whole, a kind of unity over time. Some choose to think of musical coherence as a kind of architecture in motion, with all the requirements of balance, form, and integrity that we find in well-designed buildings. Personal production. The stamp of authorship presumes that we understand the tones heard in a particular work as the result of some kind of choice and therefore of some kind of implied intent. We should be careful to avoid reducing a work to a composer's intentions alone, but we should at least attempt to acknowledge such intentions. Varied presentation. Each performance is unique, offering new insights and ideas about a musical text, in much the same way that a great play can be performed in many different ways and settings. We attend concerts to hear both a particular work and a considered reading of it. Performances are important in their own right and worthy objects of serious attention. Finally, an act of communication. Relying as it does upon a fundamental triad, creator, interpreter, and listener, a musical work can be understood as a kind of channel for communication. But exactly what might be communicated by musical works? Feelings? Abstract play of forms? Humor? Sophistication? Moral values? In what ways might music be like a language? I can think of three themes here. The semantic dimension, the syntactic dimension, and the affective dimension. Let's consider each in turn. Spoken and written communication have important semantic dimensions, namely a set of conventions whereby sounds can serve as signs. In our summary examples, we'll soon encounter sounds that seem to designate ideas that are roughly analogous to the way that words work. But in general, we'd be hard-pressed to identify anything in instrumental music that would correspond to the semantic power of speech. Spoken language also has an important syntactic dimension. In this case, the ways in which words and groups of words are organized into sentences and ideas. Subject, verb, object, for instance. Instrumental music, too, consists of highly structured sequences of events that create phrases and ideas. So in this respect, musical thought can be understood to be like a language in some important ways. Finally, spoken language often has an important expressive or affective dimension. Depending on the tone we use, we can use the same words to say different things. Just think of the confusion that sometimes results when we sometimes assume that readers will understand our email messages 
which are often written as if spoken, but which lack the crucial inflections that make our feelings plain. Instrumental music, with its many nuances of volume and tone, seems nicely suited to this aspect of language. Music, in short, is probably better suited to show us how something is meant rather than to represent things per se. In this sense, it's like a skilled but unthinking orator, richly capable of expression, but weakly endowed as a system of signs. If music is like a language, for and to whom does it speak? The composer? The performer? Maybe the listener? Consider the following. When the Austro-Hungarian composer Franz Josef Haydn was contemplating the first of his important trips to London in 1790, his friend and pupil Mozart apparently wondered out loud about Haydn's limited abilities with English and how he'd managed to get along in London. To this worry, Haydn reportedly had a simple answer. But my